All right. So we're in the Daniel Project, and we have a treat today. Michael Kuzno is going to be teaching. Give the man a hand. And uh, we were trying to print out his slides, and they didn't print out. So that's, you know, I don't know how much of a anxiety thing that is for you, but we're, we're going we're gonna to root for you all the way through it. So we have one other thing that we're going to be doing that's kind of new and different. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Adrian Crawford's notes on the sermons. Uh, they're amazing because they're just this huge thought tree, really. And so and we thought maybe we'll try out her doing this while Michael's preaching right here on the whiteboard so you can kind of watch the sermon kind of evolve as he's speaking. Um, and, you know, if she gets nervous and decides to sit down, well, that's okay. Um, so anyway, there's, there's your, uh, yeah, give her a hand. That's good. Yeah. Your markers are right there, so you can do that. Yes. Okay, so, yes, I'm on. Good. So the first thing I'd like is to get three volunteers to read parts of Daniel 4. It's very long, so we're going to need to break it up into different groups. You have a, grab one, maybe a black Bible from somewhere. So I've got one volunteer. All right, I've got a second one back here. So, Kevin, when you're done, uh, hand off to Corey the microphone. Hello, hello. Yeah. I'm going to start then. Okay. Yeah, go ahead and start. Do you have a Bible? Bible? Okay. All right. Yeah. Corey IE, right? Yes. Okay. IE. Daniel 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. Didn't Mark just read this? Yes. Okay, I'm going to read it again. (laughs) It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the branches of the air lived in its branches. The birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. 
Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and gives them over to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Okay. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, the tree, which you, the tree you saw which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds, your majesty... You are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown till it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree of the, mo the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may, uh, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, thanks. Corey. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from your people and live, in the, live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge 
that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Thank you to all that you read. That's a very long chapter, so I wanted to save my voice. I didn't want to read it all myself. Um, It's a very long chapter, but the story is kind of simple. Okay. So here's my summary. Nebuchadnezzar has a really weird dream that scares the living daylights out of him. Does this sound familiar? Okay. All right. All right. The king's magicians can't figure it out, but Daniel can. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, basically, this is what's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar is going to go insane, but only temporarily if he eventually acknowledges that God is completely in charge, just completely in charge of things. Not him, not Nebuchadnezzar. And then what the dream says will happen, happens. The end. Okay, there's, there's, we read, it's a very, very long chapter, but if you noticed, it's basically retold like two or three times, right? First in the dream, then in the interpretation, and then when it actually happens. Okay. But that's, this is Nebuchadnezzar's chapter. If you notice over and over again in the reading, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar. I was trying to see if I could work in some reference to the Matrix here because the, uh, for Eric's sake, because he's obsessed about the Matrix, if you guys didn't know this. Uh, so the ship, the name of Morpheus's ship is called the Nebuchadnezzar, but I couldn't figure out how that related to anything. So, so take that. All right, okay. All right. So this is very, very similar to what happens in chapter two. Nebuchadnezzar has this weird dream. He doesn't know what's going on. He's really scared out of his wits. He calls in his advisors. They can't do anything with it. He gets really mad at them. Okay. In the other version, or the other story, I should say, the earlier story, um, he threatens to have them all killed. Well, he doesn't just threaten. He basically decrees, you're all dead. You can't do it for me. And he also refuses to tell them what the dream is. They not only have to interpret it, but they have to tell him what the dream is because he doesn't trust them, basically. Like if he tells them what the dream is, he's afraid that they'll just make up some mumbo-jumbo. Um, so he wants to know that they're, they're legitimately interpreting this thing and that they know what's going on, and they tell them basically, we can't do this. Only the gods can do this, and the gods don't communicate with us. right? They don't live with us. So Daniel and his friends are the ones that figure this out. 
Okay, but this is this is different because previously Daniel and his friends' lives were on the line. If they couldn't figure it out or find some way to get someone to figure it out, they were going to be dead with all the other advisors of the king. So this is a new and different spin on things. Now it's a different dream. It's a different moment. And Daniel has some concern for Nebuchadnezzar here, which you don't really see in the previous story in chapter 2. It said in the text, Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. And his thoughts terrified him on behalf of Nebuchadnezzar. It's not that Daniel is terrified for his own sake. Daniel's life is not at stake here, like it was previously. Or his friends' lives when they were about to be thrown into the furnace. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, My Lord, if the dream applied, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, it seems like he actually likes Nebuchadnezzar at this point. They have some kind of maybe friendship. I'm not exactly sure. But he actually wants Nebuchadnezzar to do well and to be in charge. So that's one observation or a couple. All right, if I can get the clicker to work. Some more observations. Daniel advises Nebuchadnezzar on what to do to keep the prophecy from being fulfilled. This is really interesting to me. So he tells Nebuchadnezzar to do some things in response to this prophecy. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. So I'll go through maybe why I think that's so interesting later. But right now, just an observation that he says this. He gives them some advice. Do these things because you've received this dream and this is what the dream means. So maybe you should do this. Okay, even more observations. Uh, The fulfillment of the prophecy is triggered by a certain moment, okay? By Nebuchadnezzar saying to himself as he's walking above the palace of Babylon, maybe on the walls, right? He's up above and he's looking out over this great city that he in large part, is responsible for building. And that's, that's archaeologically true, historically true. Nebuchadnezzar built a ton of stuff in Babylon. Babylon was maybe at the time, according to many historians and archaeologists, the most impressive, biggest city in the world. And largely because of Nebuchadnezzar commissioning tons of building projects. He built the walls out. He rebuilt temples. He did all kinds of stuff. Okay, but in a particularly prideful moment, he says to himself, maybe without, maybe not without good reason, right? He he did commission a lot of these building projects, right? Is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Right? He's thinking to himself, isn't all this stuff really awesome? Aren't I awesome? Right? And he's not exactly wrong. Okay, but this triggers the prophecy. Oh, okay. Right, so the context. So we have a lot of these um, inscriptions, these archaeological artifacts that have been dug up out of the ground around ancient what used to be ancient Babylon, which is currently modern-day Iraq, okay, um, at various times and places, in and around what today is Baghdad nearby, um, they pulled out these these tablets made out of fired clay 
um, and various kinds of, you know, in various shapes. Some of them are cylinders, and you have to read them by, like, kind of twirling the cylinder around. This is one of them that's called the, um, I think it's called the East India House Inscription. And it says this kind of stuff. I'll redo the, I'm going to have to get really close to it because I was going to print out my notes like Eric said, but I, I, I couldn't. Okay. All right, so this is what a website says about these, these kind of artifacts. It says, Building Babylon. This inscribed stone was found at the ruins of Babylon and described the religious devotion and civic achievement of King Nebuchadnezzar II. The long inscription records that as well as building the processional way and the Ishtar Gate, the king decorated chapels and restored equipment for the New Year celebrations, such as the processional boat for the god Marduk. He also built, rebuilt temples and improved city walls. This particular tablet right here was found in 1803 and was given to the Museum of the East India House from Babylon. And then now today you can go, actually go see it if you go visit London. It's in the British Museum. You can like go up to it and tap on the glass. It's right there. It's a real thing. Okay. So I thought that was pretty cool, being a history nerd that I am. Like, we know this is the kind of thing that um, Nebuchadnezzar, the real guy, the historical figure, the archaeological figure that we have here, kind of said about himself. He was bragging about the things that he made. You can go read the translations of these inscriptions. And he says, like, basically, aren't I so great? Right? Uh, Hey, everybody, I built these walls. Nobody else had done that before. Right? And he says these kinds of things. And you can see that he's praising the god Marduk and these other Babylonian gods and saying, hey, Marduk, look at me. Aren't I awesome just like you? Yeah, I am. Okay, so that's what he says. All right. Another observation. Nebuchadnezzar's sanity is restored when he raises his eyes towards heaven and then he praises, honors, and glorifies God. So that's when he gets his sanity back. All right, so some questions I have as I was studying this. Why is this necessary? Why do we need to have this story happen, right? What, what, what point or purpose does it serve? Um, what about all the miracles that Nebuchadnezzar has seen recently, right? He threw a bunch of guys into a, a fiery hot furnace and they came out alive. He may have seen an angel, okay? Um, he had his dream interpreted previously in chapter 2. That was pretty cool. Um, he has a bunch of guys that he took as like slaves, capsules, captives, and they didn't eat any meat, and they ended up stronger and like more wise than all the other native Babylonian people. Okay, What about all that stuff? Didn't Nebuchadnezzar already praise and honor God in previous chapters of Daniel? I thought maybe that had happened. Okay, And why does God even care what Nebuchadnezzar thinks about him? Right? He's just some Gentile guy. Right? He's not Jewish. He's not part of God's people. Right? There's tons of non-Jewish people who get kind of thrown to the side in the Old Testament. Right? Uh, they just go on. Right? God's story goes on. And uh, God doesn't really grab a hold of him like he does Nebuchadnezzar here, right? Not a lot of people get as many miraculous signs thrown their way, I guess is maybe what I'm trying to say here. 
as Nebuchadnezzar does. So these are my questions, and this is what I was trying to answer as I was studying this for myself. So I hope to answer these questions for you, or at least my answers to myself about these questions I'll share with you. Okay, all right. All right, so a review of chapter two. So it turns out that Nebuchadnezzar didn't praise and honor God the way I thought he had. Okay, Uh, credit to Mark Crawford for pointing this out to me. Okay, all right. So this is what it actually says at the end of chapter two. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Him is Daniel here, okay? The king said to Daniel, surely your God, your God, is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Notice, he does not claim God as his God. Credit to you, Daniel. I worship you. Okay, your God is pretty cool. That's what he says. It's very different from what I thought he had said. Okay, a review of the end of chapter three. This is after he throws uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, and then they come out alive. He says, "Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego.' Notice again, whose God is it? Not his." Who has he sent his angel and rescued his right? Who has sent his ser- angel and rescued his servants? They trusted. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no god can save in this way. It's really weird. Okay, so he, he takes on the role of the protector of God as if God needs his protection. Okay? If anybody says anything bad about God from now on, notice it's the God of these other dudes, not him. Okay? Then he's going to cut them to pieces and destroy their homes. Which is, I don't know, just really baffling to me as a modern day American person. This is totally weird. Okay? I want to tell you, though, that it's not all that strange given the context of the ancient world, okay? Which is, I think, what I go on to talk about. All right, yes. Okay, so Babylonian gods. So I was trying to figure out how I could best explain what Babylonian gods are like. And we just had the Super Bowl last weekend, so I was thinking about football teams. Okay, so I figured I would try to explain to you that Babylonian gods are kind of like your favorite football team, okay? So they do some things for you. All right? They're not all powerful, but you know, when they win, you get to have a big old party and celebrate, and you get to like high five your other friends who are fans of the same team, you know, and like it's an attachment to your hometown, maybe, or whatever, right? Like I grew up near the San Francisco, so the San Francisco 49ers are like my hometown team or whatever. And so we all rally around. You know, everybody, have you noticed? This is this weird thing about Tucson. We don't have, like, shirts that say Tucson. We have shirts that say U of A. Okay? So, like, wearing U of A stuff is basically, like, Tucson pride, not just U of A pride. You guys notice this? This is weird to me as an outsider. We don't have this where I'm from. Okay? All right. So this is what Babylonian gods are like. They do some stuff for you. They're pretty cool, right? I mean, when they succeed, you succeed. Okay? And you get to have a party and celebrate and it's a connection to your kind of locale, your, your place of residence, the, your native town. 
right? And when your team loses the game, as they did last weekend for most of us, okay, right? It's proof that other teams are better, but not that your team doesn't exist, okay? All right? So, so there's all kinds of gods in the ancient Near East. There's, all, there's so many, it would be hard to even detail them all, okay? I'd run out of room and time to talk to you about it, okay? It just means when your team doesn't win, where your god doesn't win, you maybe should consider picking another god, but not that that god doesn't exist at all, okay? Just maybe he's not the greatest ever. Maybe there's another god that's a little more powerful, or even a lot more powerful, okay? And the winning team, when this happened, is entitled to gloat and taunt and, you know, trash talk you, okay? And this is what happens all the time. The, the people of a certain area get conquered by some other greater group, okay? And it doesn't necessarily mean you completely give up your God altogether. You might just kind of th- realize where your God is in the pecking order of gods, okay? No, seriously. I mean, this is really how they thought of it, okay? Yeah, no, ser- yeah, exactly. But I mean, this is the kind of stuff that would happen. This is how people thought of the outcomes of wars, okay? So when you're, you lost the war, maybe your God wasn't the biggest, best God, but still, nevertheless, he was, you know, he was something. He did something for you, right? Even the Browns have some kind of power, okay? They may be the lowest on the pecking order, right? But, but they're still a team, right? Okay, and you don't have to give up your God, right? Because there's always next year, right? There's maybe we'll do better in the future, right? Our time will come, right? Okay. The Cubs did eventually win the World Series, right? Okay. All right. Okay. So this is what I want you to think about it when we have Babylonian gods. Okay. So there's gods versus the Most High God, and in the Book of Daniel, the the God that we know and worship here as a Christian community is referred to as the God of Heaven or the God in heaven or the Most High, or even in this chapter, is referred to occasionally as just in he- just heaven itself. Okay, so one of the things it says is that Nebuchadnezzar has to has to acknowledge that heaven rules. Okay, but it is very different from the Babylonian gods. Okay, the Babylonian gods need human beings to do things for them. For example, they can't rebuild their own temples. Okay, that's why. Nebuchadnezzar is bragging about what he's done to the gods. Look, I made your temples nice again. Okay? They don't win wars. The Babylonians themselves have to go out and win the wars. This is very different from the Israelites. We have many stories in the Old Testament of the Israelites having no military power whatsoever. They do things like carry around, um, what was it, vases? And then they like smash them on the ground and somehow they win a war. I mean, they, they, we have bizarre stories of the Israelites doing almost nothing and winning wars. Okay? This is very different from the God that the Israelites, the Jews, the people of Israel worship. Okay? So they, the other gods, the Babylonian gods, need human beings to do stuff for them. God is not like that. God is fully in control. If God wants something done, it happens. Okay, so my interpretation. God continues to engage with Nebuchadnezzar because Daniel is praying for him. Okay, this is my, I'll make an argument for it kind of quickly because I'm, I'm way far along on time and 
This is the first time I've been trying to speak as the main speaker. Okay. All right. So I got to do work on my time management. Okay. Some, uh, the other thing is um, the fulfillment of some prophecies is not set in stone. This is good. I, I expect all of these to be somewhat controversial. Okay. Um, and this is my reference to Obama. So this is super controversial. Um, so I want to say that he's somewhat right. If you've got a business, you didn't build that. <laughs> he got in huge trouble for saying that in 2012. All right. It was a huge sticking point in the presidential campaign. All right. Argument one. All right. The miracles in chapter one, chapters one, two, and three occur because Daniel and his friends pray to God. Okay. They must occur in order to save their lives. If they don't occur, they're toast. Okay. If they don't measure up to what they need to according to their Babylonian schooling, right? They're exiles. They're going to get executed or just discarded and they're not going to make it on their own. Okay. In the second chapter, they're all about to die because the king has said, all you worthless advisors are toast. Okay. Cause you can't interpret my dream. They're part of that advisors. So they're going to die. And Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego are obviously going to get killed in the fire. If God doesn't come through. Okay. But this is different. This is for Nebuchadnezzar. This is Nebuchadnezzar's chapter. By the way, after this, we don't hear from Nebuchadnezzar again. And if you like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hate to break it to you, they don't appear in the story anymore in the chapter, after chapter three. Okay. Okay, but this 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 the whole chapter is in Nebuchadnezzar's voice. He is the narrator, not Daniel. It's really strange. It's the only book of the book of Daniel that's like this. Okay. Um, I didn't mean to leave that last point. Okay, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. That's part of argument two. Okay. All right. So I suspect that the reason things are happening to and for Nebuchadnezzar is because Daniel is praying for him. Okay. And I, I am, my suspicion is based on this observation that I made earlier that Daniel actually kind of likes Nebuchadnezzar. He's concerned for his well-being. And it was part of what the prophet Jeremiah said to the Jews to do, is to pray for their city, to pray for the places that they are in exile, right? to pray for their leaders, to pray for the good of the people around them. And I think Daniel actually did that. And I think that's why God tends to care about Nebuchadnezzar, even though he's not part of the Jewish people. Okay. Um, right, so that's why, that's why I did that, because I put in two slides that are basically the same. Okay, all right. So I, I was saying, all the stuff previous happened because they prayed. Why not this chapter two? Okay. All right, argument number two. So this is for the idea that some prophecies, uh, the fulfillment are not set in stone, that they do not have to happen. Daniel wouldn't advise Nebuchadnezzar to do something that had absolutely no chance of being successful. This is my, my argument. Also, I look at other stories, like uh, the stories of Abraham and Jonah. So they're asking God to do things that God's like, basically, I am completely obliterating Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, no, whoa, whoa, wait, God, hold up a sec. What if there are a few good people there? And God's like, well, okay, fine. I won't toast them if there are a few good people. Turns out there aren't any Tulsum anyway, but okay. All right. And likewise, Jonah, he goes in. The whole reason Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because he's afraid that God will be merciful on these people that he himself hates. Okay? 
So Jonah's mission is to go tell the Ninevites that God is going to destroy them. And he's concerned that if he goes and tells them that God will destroy them, that God might not because they'll change what they're doing. Okay? All right. So, some prophecies do not have to happen. It's interesting to me. Okay, number three. You didn't build it. Why? Because God is completely, absolutely sovereign. He is in total control of everything. All things, ultimately, every single little thing that happens in this world happens and only happens because God either directs it, he makes it happen directly by his hand, or he allows it to occur. Okay, so Obama was trying to talk about the government, basically. Okay, so he's not right, right about that totally. Okay, but if you want to think about it in terms of government, God is the ultimate government. Okay, He allows governments to be what they are and in control. He throws them out when he deems it necessary for his purposes. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar is just like that. Jehoiakim, who was the last ruler of the Israelites before Nebuchadnezzar blazes through and conquers, was like that. It says at the very beginning of the book of Daniel, right? Jehoiakim was handed over to Nebuchadnezzar. That was by God's decree. All right, so some application. What are we supposed to do with this? What does this mean to us? Why does it matter to us? All right. So some things I suggest from this uh, interpretation that I've just given of this passage, uh, Daniel chapter 4. Praise God. Okay? I'm not saying it as an exclamation. I mean, as an activity, I'm suggesting that you do. Okay? In your life, okay, as you go about your day and your week, your month, whatever, praise God to the extent that you know how that you can in every way possible at every time. Point number two, if you're having trouble doing that, remember, or if you're, you may be in a different, a different place than remembering, okay? Maybe a more apt word for you and where you are tonight is discover, or maybe even you're not quite there yet, and maybe I'm just asking you to consider that God is worthy of praise. And if that's where you are, Actually, in any of those cases, keep coming back to church. Okay, This is a good place to recognize, to remember, to discover that God is worthy of praise. Also, remember that you didn't build it. Okay, You had a role in it, yeah. Okay, So if you, didn't, if you didn't do some of the things that you've done with your life, you wouldn't have the business that you have. I have, I have, I have my own business, and I, and, and I recognize I have a role in that. But if God didn't want me to, I wouldn't. If God didn't allow for the government that we currently have, the country that we have, right? it could all be gone in an instant if he so chose. right? Tomorrow Canada can invade. Okay? If he so chose, okay? I'm picking Canada because no one's going to get offended by that. Okay. All right. So, right, it says the Canadian. Right, exactly. Okay, right. Okay, so if God wants, like, he can overthrow the United States tomorrow. I don't expect that to happen, but it could happen, and he could make that happen. Okay? And then my business could just go away. Okay. Then the last thing is that a lot of us t- 
tend to want to have a direct personal experience with God, but I think you should be cautious about that desire. Okay? All right. Okay, so you can see from Nebuchadnezzar's story here is that it wasn't exactly a pleasant experience for him. He went absolutely, completely insane, behaved like a cow, eating grass, okay? His hair grew extremely long. His nails grew, like, ridiculously long, okay? He, right? He was basically an animal for a long period of time. We don't know how long, but, you know, a fairly long period of time. Yes, so seven times passed him over, right? He was probably cold. He got really wet with the fuck. Okay, so it was, a, it was not a happy, fun, exciting, great, pleasurable, warm, fuzzy time for him, okay? So part of the reason that sometimes we need to have direct personal experiences with God is because we're not paying attention to what God has already shown us, okay? And when he comes to confront us with that, it is painful, So, consider what God has already shown you. Maybe the prophecies that you have coming your way do not have to happen. Remember that God is worthy of praise and praise Him. And that's it. Okay. All right, so I don't know if I have that much time for questions. Probably none. Yeah? My official timekeeper? No. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. I need to work on my timekeeping. But I didn't go super, super over time, so I'm happy about that. All right. So some things to respond to the Word of God tonight. One way is through offering. Got some offering baskets. Go around. You can pass it to those nearby you. Once it's gone through a row, just pass it backwards. And then eventually when it gets back there to the very back, it usually finds its way over to the sound booth by the end of the night. Okay. Another thing is that we have a chair called the healing chair back there. It's painted white. It says the healing chair on it. If you need prayer for any reason, if you're seeking healing for any reason, go sit in that chair and uh, someone will come and pray for you. And then lastly, well, not lastly, one other way, maybe the most important way, is something that Jesus told us to do, told his followers to do, which is to remember him as we eat and drink the traditional Passover meal. So we have some bread. He said that the bread symbolizes his body broken for us, and the wine or the juice symbolizes his blood shed for us. So come up if you are a follower of Jesus and you can stand with his broken body and his blood shed for you and understand the significance of that sacrifice and ally yourself with him personally in a way that Nebuchadnezzar did tonight in our story as opposed to previously. Not just somebody else's God that you know, but your God, yeah, your Lord. If you can come do that, um, please do. And uh, the last way is uh, please sing along or just consider the words of the songs that we're singing together uh, in worship to God. And many of them are a way to enact what I asked you to do tonight, which is to praise.
to praise God for who he is.